out of Joshua chapter 3. Actually, all of Joshua chapter 3 and then um, chapter 4. We're going to talk about this idea of remember because that's what a memorial is about. It's to make us remember something. It's to make us think about something that has happened. Um, someone who, you know, you, you often you will make a donation or you will do something and say, this is in memoriam. This is to remember them. And so I thought, and God put on my heart as we were coming up to Memorial Day tomorrow where we will remember those that have passed, but I thought, what is it that God has done in our lives? What are the things that God wants us to remember? Because sometimes I think that if we're not careful, we forget. We forget what God has done because we're focused on what's happening in our life at the moment. We start going through a difficulty. We start going through a situation. And it's almost like we forget that God has done things in our past, in our lives, that got us to this point. And so oftentimes our focus gets so narrow on what's happening now that we forget to remember who God is and what God has the ability to do. So we're going to look at Joshua chapter 3 beginning with verse 1. This is what it says. Then Joshua rose early in the morning and they set out from Shittim and they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and they commanded the people, as soon as you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priest, then you shall set out from your place and you will follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves. In other words, spend some time and confess things and get things out of your life. Prepare yourself, set yourselves apart. For tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priest, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore, take twelve men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord... The Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priest bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water... And he makes a reminder here that we would realize something. Now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. I just want to stop for a moment and tell you. Here they are. They're coming in to where God has given them, has told them that there's a promised land. There's somewhere they're going to be going. But they have come up on an obstacle. There is something that's in the way, and it's this Jordan, this river that they're going to have to cross. And it's not just a river that is normal size, but during this time of the year... It's, it has overflowed the banks because during the time of harvest, it always goes out further than what the banks are and gets way extended out. So it's now much larger. 
if they had heard about the Jordan and they had heard about how big the obstacle was, now they had come up on something that was even bigger than what they could have imagined. Now, I'm just going to tell you, there are times where you're going to go through life and you're going to come upon a problem that you thought was going to be this big, but then when you come up on it, you get there and you say, my word, what is this? I thought this problem was just supposed to be this big, but now it's, it's twice again as big as what it's supposed to be. How are we going to survive this? And that's what they had come up on. Verse 16 says, the waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan, and those flowing down toward the Sea of the Arab of the Salt Sea were completely cut off. So they couldn't even see far away from them. Man, there's a message in, in this right here. But sometimes while you're standing in the middle of your problem, it's going to get solved far away from you. You're not even going to see it. It's going to be so far away. It's, for them, it was in a town way away from them in the town of Adam. And, and it stopped. There it stood up in a heap. Now, you just hear this for a moment. They're standing here in the middle of their problem. The priests have stepped in and put their feet in the very edge. And they're holding the Ark of the Covenant. Now, what's the Ark of the Covenant represent? Represents the presence of God. So the presence of God being carried by them, they, they stepped into the middle of the problem. And they stopped and way away from them, which means for a moment they're not going to see that the answer has already come to pass. Because it's at this city that's far away back up. But the people in that city begin to see their answer before the people that were there in the problem saw the answer. That's better than what y'all getting. I'm just telling you. They're up the, so the people in this city of Adam, all of a sudden, can you imagine what they're seeing? Here's the Jordan River that's, that's just flowing by, and all of a sudden, fishermen and everybody else are seeing. Can you imagine if some guy was down below where the water piled up in a heap? All of a sudden, his boat just starts going. Sean's a fisherman. All of a sudden, your boat just starts dropping. You're sitting on, you're sitting on the ground in your boat, and the, and the water's just piled up high, it said, right here. So those people in that city can see this, but there's all this water that's still got to pass by where the children of Israel are. So the problem's already been answered way back up here, but they're just still seeing water coming by. But then they start noticing it's getting lower, and it's getting lower. And because down here, there's nothing else. It just wastes away, and that water flows out into that sea and disappears. And he says that they were completely cut off, and the people passed over opposite of Jericho. Verse 17 now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing over on dry ground until the nation finished passing over the Jordan. And we'll get to chapter 4. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man. And command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. He said, I want you to, before we come out of this problem, because these guys are still standing in the middle of the Jordan. He says, I want you one representative from every one of the 12 tribes of Israel. I want you to go back out into the river. Everybody's passed over except for the priests. He says, but I want you 12 to go back into the river. It's dry ground. And I want you to take and get a stone, each one of you, each one of the 12. And you're going to bring that stone out from where, not, not over here on this edge where you just came out. Because remember, the priest had come along and he said, as soon as their feet touch into the Jordan, as soon as their feet touch in, have them stop. And so these guys are bearing the presence of God in the Ark of the Covenant. They step into the river. The river stops back up here at the city of Adam. The water flows and the ground dries up. Now that in and of itself is a big enough issue because most of the time, even when the, when the waters have gone down around, if you're in a slough or anything down here around near the, uh, any of these, these uh, rivers, creeks, anything like that, they're around, the, the ground's still soft. It's not hard. 
But it said the ground was dry on firm ground. The priest stood firmly in the middle of that. They're over here. They're clear back on the other side because the people of Israel have already passed across the Jordan. They've come out the other side. Joshua tells these 12, says, I want you to go back to the beginning. I want you to go back to where we first stepped into this problem and where the priest, because that's where the presence of God was. And I want you to get a stone, each one of you, and bring it and put it in your house tonight where you sleep. Verse 5, Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder. He wasn't talking about going and picking up a rock, a little pebble. He said, I want you to go get a stone that's large enough that you're going to have to put it up on your shoulder in order to bring it out of here. Don't, don't, go, don't go pick up something you can slip in your pocket. He said, go get you a rock that's so big you're going to put it up on your shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel. Verse 6, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them, that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. There's three things that the people of Israel would remember. It's what God put on my heart out of this, this passage. And it was the presence, the pause and the path, the presence, the pause, and the path. See, the presence of God that they carried in the form of the Ark of the Covenant. See, this is why there are so many people that are, that are mixed up today, archaeologists and people that, that want to pursue and try to find the Ark of the Covenant because they believe that somehow, that if they could find the Ark of the Covenant, that it would be this massive, powerful relic that they could use in some fashion. There have been movies made about people finding the Ark of the Covenant and gaining some power because people that, that don't know Christ don't understand that the presence of God only dwelt there until Christ came so that the presence of God could dwell inside the heart of every believer. And all of the power that they believe is contained in the Ark of the Covenant and it was demonstrated in the Old Testament being in the Ark of the Covenant, because it, that then it did not dwell in us yet. It did not reach that point where that we became temples that were not fashioned by the hands of man. All of that power and all of that ability is what resides in the heart of the believer today that will follow after Christ. That is why that he said in Acts that, that when, when, the, when the Holy Spirit comes, he said, then you will be endued with power and you shall be witnesses. Why? Because that, that presence of God that was going to be inside of us and would be a part of us was the same presence of God that had been there even in the Ark of the Covenant. But the presence of God causes a reaction in those things that are around it. I want to give you some verses. In 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 33, Then shall the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes to judge the earth. The presence of God causes even creation to begin to sing. In Psalm 68, verses 7 and 8, O oh God, when you went out before your people, when you marched through the wilderness, Selah, the earth quaked, the heavens poured down rain before God, the one of Sinai before God, the God of Israel. So when the, when the presence of God came and went before the people, the earth itself quaked and the heavens poured down rain. Why? Because the presence of God impacts things that are around it. Psalm 97, verses 5 and 6. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. And the heavens proclaim His righteousness and all the peoples see His glory. If we, could, if we could somehow get our heads around, if we could even wrap our minds in some small fashion 
around the fact that the God who is willing to come and meet with us in this place today, that the God who is willing to meet with you when you get in your prayer closet alone and you begin to speak to Him, the God who is willing to speak to you through the Word. See, I I really think that one of our our challenges, one of our problems is, is we just want to come and we want to check the box and say, I was here, I went to church, I did my thing. I don't care really about meeting with God. I don't care about getting into his presence. It doesn't bother us. It's not a respect thing sometimes even because we don't stop and think about what the word of God says happens in the presence of God. People are changed in the presence of God. The world itself is moved and shaken and responds to the presence of God. I can guarantee you, we can walk out here into this community and we can go we can go tell stories, we can go tell stuff, but those things, it doesn't matter how exciting your story is, doesn't matter about what, you know, if you take God out of the equation, it doesn't matter what you go out and say, oh, let me tell you about how I've changed my life and all this thing. Okay, that's great and that's inspiring and all that. But you know what? It just doesn't have a whole lot of power. It has some sentiment. It'll pull at people's heartstrings. But the presence of God is what changes people. It's not how well you're able to go share something. It's not how well you're able to recite the gospel. It's not how well you're able to take people down the Romans road. It's the very fact that when the presence of God comes into a situation, things change. And I think that even the, the, the earth itself, even creation responds And at times I wonder if creation doesn't respond better than we do. Because when the presence of God comes into a situation that involves creation, he says the mountains melt like wax. The heavens proclaim his righteousness. He said that the earth quaked, that rain poured down because the presence of God was so powerful that when it came in, even creation can't help but do something. But yet we can come in if we're not careful Hey, I come in, I hang out in church, and oh, it's great. Let's fellowship some, and let's, you know, last week was let's eat some strawberries, you know, and all that, and I enjoyed that. Some good strawberries. They were big. Man, I can do that at home. I can go get that from the grocery store. But when I come into God's house, I want to get something. I want to find something here that I can't find In a lot of other places. I don't have to come to church in order to get God's presence. Because God's presence should be with us. Because if if he is living inside of us. If Christ is in us. If it's not my life anymore. But it's Christ that lives in me. Then his presence should be with me. But I come together with all of you. So that we can remember. And when we remember the things that God has done. You say well God hasn't done any great miracle in my life. Well are you saved? Have you given your heart to him? Because if you have, then the Bible describes that as that you have been resurrected. Because you which were dead in trespasses and sin have been made alive in Christ. The earth responds. The presence of God changes people. Sometimes I think it's almost like, again, if we're not careful... That we'll reach a point where that we think that the presence of God changes people at the time of salvation. And then that's kind of it. Well, you know, he he changed them from, you know, from death to life. He changed them from darkness and translated them into his marvelous lightning. Moved them out of this into his kingdom. And and that's kind of where we see the end of, of God's presence changing people. I just don't believe that's the case. I don't find that the Word of God says that's the case. I find that the Word of God says that if we can get people into the presence of God, then they will be even as Isaiah was when he was so negative when he was outside of God's presence. He was negative about the people. Y'all have heard me say it. it. It always sticks in my head in these examples. You know, Isaiah was constant. Oh, God, how bad are these people? Oh, God, they're terrible. Oh, God, woe is me. You know, all these people. Woe is, all, woe is our nation. Woe is all this stuff. Until he got in the presence of God. 
And when he got in the presence of God and he fell at God's feet, the next thing that comes out of his mouth is no longer, woe are these people, woe is this nation, woe is everybody else. He says, woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. God, I've, I, I see myself and now I'm changed. It's not that I'm worrying about changing everybody else, but God, I see that your presence changes people and it begins with changing me. Sometimes I, you can't give to somebody else what you don't have. And if you don't believe that God's going to change your life, and if God is not actively working and changing things in you, then it will not do you any good to go out on evangelism and everything else. Because if you're not believing that God is making an ongoing change in you, then I really don't believe you have faith enough to believe that God's going to change somebody else. The presence of God changes People, Acts chapter 3, verses 19 through 21. He says, Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. Why? That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Now, I just need to stop there for a moment. Repent, therefore, and turn back. Listen to what he's saying. He said, he says, You were going a direction. But now you've turned and you're going some other direction. So he says, repent. Now that's not being sorry. There's a lot of people that get sorry for stuff. Most of the time you're sorry because you got caught. Most of the time you're sorry because you got found out. Repentance is when you turn from what you are doing. You don't just, oh, I'm sorry y'all caught me doing this right here. But you turn away from that thing and you go a different direction. He just puts it all together and says, repent therefore and turn back. Because you've gotten away from the direction that you were going with God and you're going some other way. And he says, repent and turn back. Go back to the direction that you were going. Why? That your sins may be blotted out. Why? That times of refreshing may come. Where? From the presence of the Lord. Every time I read that verse, it makes me stop and think because I hear so many times people talking about, man, I'm just so spiritual. I'm just worn out. I'm wrung out. I'm, I, I'm just, I'm at the end of my rope. I'm at... then what it sounds like you need is the time of refreshing. What it sounds like that you need is you need to be refreshed. Words are important. Words carry a lot of meaning. Sometimes we just we throw so many words around that, that they don't carry as much emphasis and impact for us anymore. We say, hey, we're going to be serving refreshments. For most people, you know, then what they think about, oh, we're just going to have some coat and some snacks and whatever else, refreshments. What is he really saying? He says, you're, you, we're going to serve something that will help refresh you. Spiritually, spiritually, a lot of times, man, we go out there and we're going through our day and we're going through our week. Maybe we're going through our month. And man, you have spiritually sweated it out and you have worked hard and you're sore and you're tired, and you need a time of refreshing. It's not, well, I'm showing up, and there's some finger foods, and if I like them, I'll, I'll have some, and if I don't, well, I'll just wait till I get home. You need to be refreshed. In Acts 3, that's what they were dealing with. He says, hey, you have, you have gotten away from the path to the point that it's wearing you out, and you need to turn back because the presence of God will change you and it will bring refreshing. The presence of God brings both joy and protection. Psalm 16 verse 11 says this, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. Look, let's take take these two scriptures that we've just read. So if your spiritual life is just completely worn out, and you feel like you got no spiritual energy left. If you feel like you got no spiritual joy in your life, then you have got to get into the presence of God. You have got to find yourself in His presence. 
you're not going to find it. Now, you hear me. You're not just going to find it in the Word. Because he didn't say that in the Word was going to be the fullness of joy. Now, you may, you may work yourself into God's presence by being in the Word. You may find yourself in God's presence because you spend time in prayer. And you have to begin to shed some of that stuff. You start getting yourself focused. And look, we all know sometimes praying is difficult. Praying for more than about five minutes for a lot of people is a struggle because your mind starts thinking about this. And you start, so you begin to do a spiritual discipline where you force yourself to, I'm going to stay focused, God. If i got to stop and say, man, I'm going to rebuke all that stuff that's trying to come in my mind, I'm trying to get in the presence of God. Because we stay so busy and we stay running so much from this thing to that thing that we do it spiritually and we don't find ourselves waiting in the presence of God and finding ourselves being refreshed and finding joy. And so our spiritual lives become just as chaotic as what our natural lives are. And we, then we can't figure out, well, God, I'm doing all this stuff. And, and I'm trying to do all these things and fit all this stuff in. How come I don't have any joy? Because the things are not what was going to bring you the joy. The activity is not what's going to bring joy. But when we get into the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Psalms 31 verses 19 and 20 says, Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you in the sight of the children of mankind in the cover of your, what's the next word? Presence. In the cover of your presence, you hide them from the plots of men. You store them in your shelter from the strife of tongues. Who say, so I don't have any joy. I'm spiritually worn out. And I feel like I'm just under attack from everybody around me. All three had the same answer according to God's word. In your presence. Look, you, we don't... Prayer has got to stop being just a thing where that we want to come with our request. Prayer has got to stop being, hey, this is, I'm going to try and drop my money in the machine. I turn the handle of prayer and boom, out comes my answer. And, and oh, and oh, by the way, you know, see, not only do we treat it that way sometimes, but, but we treat it just like that, that machine that we, you know, remember when you were kids, if you was lucky enough, it didn't happen a whole lot for me. But, but if you were lucky enough and somebody would spot you a quarter that you could go drop in that little machine and you'd turn the thing and out would come that little plastic egg-like thing. Some of them had an actual egg. Some of them just had the little case type thing. Have like a red top or something on it. And remember, you were looking inside. You were looking through the little glass window and you were going, ooh, I want that ring right there. Or ooh, I want that. Oh, there's some stickers in that one right there. I hope. And then it dropped out and, and it was like an eraser. Remember? And you were like, what? And if you turn around to your mom, whatever, can I have another quarter? Nope. Gave you one quarter. That's what you wanted. And that's what you know. And you're going, man, got an eraser. And then, and then your brother or your sister or somebody that's with you, they drop their quarter in, comes out, and they got, a, they got maybe exactly what you wanted. You go, come on. Sometimes we treat prayer that way. We want to go and we want to put it in and we're kind of looking and going, God, this is what I want. I'm coming praying, just like Jimmy said last week in his message. We're not really praying, God, I want your will to be done and I want your kingdom to come. We have an idea of what that's going to be. And so we put our prayer in and we turn the handle and go, God, I did what I was supposed to do. And then the answer drops out. And we go, that wasn't what I wanted. At some point, I almost feel like God is saying, I didn't want you coming to me just to pray because you wanted something anyway. I'm all about meeting your need. All about meeting your need. But I really wanted you to come pray because you wanted to be in my presence. I have to watch sometimes because I let myself get so busy that I won't go by and see my parents as 
as much as what I should. And then I'll realize I need a haircut. I'm just being, I'm being as transparent as I can be this morning. And I'll be like, oh, I need to get a haircut. So I need to run by dad's and let him cut my hair. And you know the crazy thing? If, if I'm just determined I got to get a haircut, because my, my dad, not only pastors, he's a barber. And so he's had a barber shop for 40 some odd years or so, 50 years, something like that, over here at the foot of John Hardy Hill. And so I can run over there, and guess what I get? I get a free haircut. Now, if I'm really pushed for time and I'm going, there's no way I'm going to be able to get over there. And I've, I'm, I've had this. Then I can go down here and do like everybody else, and I can end up paying about $20, 20-some-odd down here at one of these places. But then if I can stop sometimes and go, wait a minute, I can save 20-some-odd dollars. I can go over there and let my dad cut my hair. Y'all know where I'm going. If I don't stay focused about relationship, then when I go over there will be because I need a haircut. And I'll spend some time, you know, I'll go on my lunch or something. And so I can spend, you know, 30, 40 minutes, then I got to get back to work. But I got my haircut. How do we treat God and His presence? Is it, God, I need to get in your presence because I need all this stuff? God, I need to get in your presence because I... Or is it just, God, I need to get in your presence because I love you. I want to be around you. I want to be near you. In the cover of his presence, he hides us from the plot of men. Although it can seem counterintuitive to us. that The children of Israel, can you, can you imagine? It almost doesn't seem to make sense that... The priest come up and then he says, as soon as you step into the problem, just stop. We don't like that concept. Wait a minute, you want me to pause in the middle of my problem? God, you want me in this situation that I'm faced with? You want me to step in? But, but they had the presence of God. See, when the presence of God is with you in the middle of the situation, then you can stop right in the middle of it and see what happens. Sometimes God wants us to pause. Exodus chapter 14, verses 13 and 14. Here's what Moses had. Remember, they're, they're coming out. He's got the people of Israel. God was often making them pause. And now they're faced with the Red Sea. And then they've got the, the, the people of Egypt and the armies coming behind them. And, they, and they've got all these mountains and everything around. They've got nowhere to go. They're literally between almost a seeming rock and a hard place. And they're going, what are we supposed to do? What are we? And they're getting a little frantic. Not that we ever get frantic in the middle of our situations. Not that we ever get a little disturbed because we're going, God, you need to do something. Something needs to change. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Stand still. And see the salvation of the Lord which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you. And you shall hold your peace. Have you ever been around somebody that... They were... They were trying to do something, and we kind of we mentioned this here a few weeks back. They, they want you to help them, and you go, okay, just stop for a minute and let me do. And they're going, yeah, but I need to do, and I, need, and I got to do this. And, and you're going, look, just stop, stop, stop. We need to do this right here. Yeah, yeah, but I got to do, and I need, I need to do, and then we need to. But I already tried this, and I, stop. Just don't be afraid. Stand still. Stop. Job, in Job 37, verse 14, he says, listen to this, O Job. Stand still and consider the wondrous works of God. I was thinking at one point, I was riding around on the lawnmower, 
I don't know. I, I love it. You know, when, when, you, when you get first mow your grass and stuff, man, it looks really good. It's like getting a haircut. Yeah, see? And so, man, you, you gave your yard a haircut. And it's, it's nice. And, it's, and man, I was looking and, and squirrels were coming out. And the dogs, I could tell the dogs, because they're in the backyard. And I could tell the dogs were like, wow. <laughs> there's ground. And there's some rocks back here. And, I mean, I, you just, and, and I had to stop for a moment and think. How often are we so engaged in what's going on in our lives that we don't do what Job was told to do? Stand still and just consider the wondrous works of God. Stand still. There's a lot of folks going to be so busy today, tomorrow. Man, it's a beautiful time of year right now. We've got a magnolia tree in the backyard that's what I saw as I was riding around. I was watching the dogs all. They're running around all over the yard doing what dogs do. And then I looked up and I noticed I had been so focused on all this weed eating and everything else that I didn't know. I, I smelled something. I was over there under that tree and I was weed eating. And I, I was sweating. And I'm thinking, I just want, you know, much as I like this stuff, I want to get done with this. And all of a sudden I smelled something. And I stopped and I looked up and said, wow, look at that. Man, that magnolia tree is just starting to, and man, I mean, it had some, it had some that were just blossoming out and they had to be that big. I mean, just, and I just had to stop for a minute. Wow. Because I knew what was in this message. Consider the wondrous works of God. Psalms 46, verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And my favorite, be still, is Jesus in Mark chapter 4, verse 39. Jesus woke up. He rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Finally, after we've entered God's presence and after we've paused to allow his work to be accomplished, then God can move us along the path that he's, he's intended. Proverbs 4, verse 14 says, Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of the evil. But verse 18 says, But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. Man, that's a powerful scripture. Catch that. The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn. What's the light of dawn like? Well, it starts out as dark. And then you just, you start to get, you start noticing, I can see it a little better. But everything's still a little fuzzy. And sometimes you can't exactly see, make things out. But just the longer it goes, the brighter it gets. And he said, that's what the path of the righteous is like. Sometimes when you started out on that path, Man, for a lot of people, they didn't know anything about God. They didn't know anything about God's Word. They didn't know anything about God's presence. They didn't know any of these things. He says, but that path was like the light of dawn. The further you went down the path and the longer that time passed, when you stay in His presence, the light just begins to keep becoming brighter and brighter. He says, until it reaches full day. And you notice He never says then. He doesn't say then it starts to set. He says, it just reaches that point where things become illuminated. The presence of God. Psalms 119, verse 35. He said, lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Now, that's normally not the response that we have, right? Our, our first response is normally like, God, lead me in the path of commandments. Things that you tell me that I'm supposed to do, and therefore I need to go do them. That's normal. Normally what we would like is if the scripture would say, lead me in the path of your blessings. Lead me in the path of your anointing. Lead me in the path of your clearing the way. Lead me in the path of your abundance. Oh yeah, man, see, y'all even responded to that. 
See, right then, I, when I said, lead me in a path, your commandments, nobody responded. Nobody went, yes, Lord. Yes. But I go, lead me in a path of blessings. And people are like, oh, yeah. See, we know our natural inclination is not, God, lead me in the path of being disciplined. God, lead me in the path of where that I will do what you've told me. Because, see, the problem is that we know there are a lot of things that he's commanded us. The Great Commission is one of those things. Go into all the world, preaching the gospel, making disciples, baptizing people, teaching them to obey Whatever I have commanded. And certainly, it's very rare that we would say, well, God, if I'm in the path of your commandments, whoo, I delight in that. Yeah! Woohoo! That is not the response we have. What is up with this psalmist? What's his issue? I mean, why is he out here saying, oh, lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in that path. I love being in the path. You know why? You know why? Because when you get in the path of doing what God has said, it puts you in God's presence. If we want to be, we say, I want to be in God's presence. I want God's presence in my life. Then do what God has said. I can guarantee you, if we are obedient to what God has told us to do, I guarantee you will be in His presence. I, I know, I keep referring to it, I just can't help it. I mean, but I, I know that when, when, when Stephen and I were there in Uganda, I don't know that I have ever felt that I was more in God's presence than while we were out sharing the gospel and, and, and seeing. Now, here's the thing, though. And I keep, I, I, I mentioned it last week after Jimmy preached. Here's the thing. Then that's got to happen here. That's got to happen here. It's got to be us in this community. God has placed us in this community, in this place. It would have been so much easier if we could have just gone outside the city limits. If we could have gone somewhere in a surrounding area. We could have got land. We could have got all this stuff. That would have been great. That just wasn't God's plan. It wasn't God's plan. But it's not enough to come in here and sit here on Sunday. We've got to be in God's presence. And I can guarantee you that God's presence is going to move us to go outside of these four walls because he's already commanded that. And if we want to be in the path of his commandments, and if we will delight in that, then I guarantee you, then we will see our lives be changed. Why? Because of all these other things that we've already read about what God's presence will do in our lives. God's presence will bring us joy. God's presence will bring us protection in the face of attacks from the outside. God's presence will do all of these things in our lives, but we will have to find ourselves delighting in the path of His commandments. And one of His great commandments is that, is that we need to be out sharing the gospel. We need to be impacting the community. We need to do unto others. So that people say, oh, that in the Bible? Sure it is. Absolutely. You'll find it. Lead me in the path of your commandments. How about this one? Proverbs 15 and 19. The way of a sluggard... Is like a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a level highway. But he said the path of the upright... Now think about that. The way of a sluggard is like a hedge of thorns. Now get this visual image. So the way of a sluggard, somebody who doesn't want to do, somebody who doesn't want to work, somebody who doesn't want to serve, somebody who doesn't want to follow God, somebody who doesn't want to do any of those things. It is like trying to push through a hedge of thorns. There's no, there's no hole cut out. There's no gate in the hedge. You are trying to push through a hedge. It's bad enough. If you've ever, we, we had these hedges in the front of our house when we first moved up there. I have since cut them down. But, but we had these hedges. And when you tried to get behind them to the house, you know, because you need to do some weed eating or something in between them and the house, you ever tried to push through a hedge? It's tough. It feels like for someone who is not wanting to pursue God, is not wanting to be in God's presence, is wanting to be slack about serving God, it is like trying to push through a hedge, but not just a hedge, a hedge that is made up of thorns. It is painful. It hurts. You can't move. You, it, it takes way more energy to try to press through to get where you're going, and it just tears you up the whole time. But the path... 
that God wants you to be on in comparison is like being on a level highway. So the hedge was all interwoven and hard to get through, but the path of the upright is like standing out in the middle of the highway and it's level. It's not uphill. It's, it's just level. Well, how do you get there? Proverbs 3, 6. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. path that the Israelites could call remembrance was one that was miraculous. It was one that was full of deliverance. Quite honestly, it was one that was unexpected. I'm so thankful at times that God does not answer my prayers the way that I want him to. Because I don't even sometimes understand the problems. I don't even sometimes see it. Go back to what we were talking about at the beginning. You're standing there in the middle of your problem. You feel you've got the presence of God. God, I've done what you told me to do. I've gotten over here to the Jordan. I got to my issue, and I've stepped in it, and I'm in your presence, and I'm waiting, and I see nothing. You don't even realize your problem got solved. It's on the way. It's on the way. The answer is on the way. It's already been put in place. It's already been made to happen. You just haven't seen it yet. What if, what if the priest had said, I don't see anything. Let's step back out of this. Because remember, what he was tying the whole thing to was you're bearing the presence of God and you're going to step into the edge of this problem and just, just, just be still. Just stand there. And we go, but God, I want to hurry up and get through it. I, I want to go ahead and get through this situation. I want to get through this problem. I want to get through this obstacle. And God says, just be still. Just stand here. And then you're waiting. And God's saying, hold on. I love that song. Hold on. Help is on the way. He said he'd never leave you nor forsake you. Stay strong. And all the way from that city that was far away, that problem starts dissipating. That problem starts disappearing. And then, can you imagine? Can you imagine the people of Israel standing there? Y'all see anything? I don't see anything. I thought he said when we got here, God was going to do something. I mean, I mean, we sent the presence of God out in front of us. And, and now what do we do? There had to be a sound because a river makes a sound. Can you imagine? It worked kind of in reverse because all of a sudden the sound of the problem started to get quiet. Be still. I, I can't even imagine what it's like to be standing there and all of a sudden see the river just trickle away to nothing. To see your problem just flow right on by. And that which you thought you were going to sink into, that which even once the problem's gone, it's still left residue, and then it just firms up. You can tell when ground's wet, can't you? You imagine you're standing there looking at a river bottom, and all of a sudden you see it dry up and get firm, and Joshua says, let's go. And everybody goes on a cross. They all head across. And then God speaks to Joshua and says, you pick out 12 guys, one from each tribe. You've got, you already got them. Send them back into the problem. Send them back to the area where the problem was. And so 12 men come back. And they come back over here into this problem. And he says, now pick up a big old rock. And I want you to take it. And you're going to go back and you're going to go to your house, wherever you camp tonight, and you're going to keep this thing. And in the years to come, you're going to keep this rock in your house. You're going to keep it there at the mantle. 
and your children. Much of what God does in our lives is not for us alone. The Bible says that we're made overcomers by the blood of the Lamb, but by one other thing, by the word of our testimony. God called these people of Israel because he said, in years to come, your children are going to look on the mantle place and they're going to say, hey, Dad, what's that rock? What's that for? He said, what you're going to tell them, that is when that God calls the waters to stand up like a heap and we passed over on dry ground. That's what that rock means. So here's my question for you today. What do you have in your life that you need to remember? What do you have in your life where you're really able to say, hey, this is where God did something in my life. This is where God accomplished something powerful in my life. Do we have things in our life? Do we, and, and I'm not just saying about you have something showing up in your house or whatever, but are we in some way allowing our children to see things in our lives, allowing our friends to see things in our lives where they will say, hey, what does this mean? And that we can say, let me tell you about what God has done. Remember, memorial, this is what God has done in my life. At a minimum, if you say, well, I don't really know that I have some big miracle where God, but I want it to be enough in my life where that, that I can say, hey, let me show you how that God saved me. Let me tell you about how God changed my life. Look, guys, that's what you need to remember. That's what our children, that's what our friends, that's what people around us need to hear because that is that thing where the, our lives can become a memorial so that people will say, I need to know about your life. Why is it that you have hope? Why is it that you have peace? Why is it that you're able to endure through this stuff and that we can be able to say, ha, let me tell you what that means. <laughs>